it is good to be together. For those of you who are hosting people in your homes, thank you. This year, our theme is rediscovering our awe for God with a focus primarily on worship. The question that I've been working through is the who of our worship. What image of God do we need to recapture or rediscover that would lead us to a deeper sense of awe? What is the identity of this omnipresent, all-powerful, all-knowing God that Israel was being commanded to be released to worship? This morning, I want to speak on the who of our worship, our Father in heaven. I want to speak on that word because I think that having this image of God as Father is ultimately important in order to deeper our understanding and our intimacy with Him. The first place in Scripture where we see references made of God as Father is in Exodus 4, chapter 22. Most of us have an understanding of God as King and Sovereign. However, I do not think that there is any other word that is more intimate for God as that of Father or the Hebrew word Abba, mean Daddy. Through our time together, I want to take us on a journey in recapturing the, this title, this term of endearment, a familial language for God. Father, Buba, Abachi, Appa, Peter, Padre, Bu, Futrin, Pai. Through our prayer, this is a relational title which usually invokes intimacy and reciprocity. That is a movement that goes in both directions. First off, I don't want to assume that this word necessarily conjures good memory or images for everyone, but allow me just for a while to take us back to the beginning. God created Adam and Eve in his likeness and in an image, and it is through this one man and this woman where all of our genealogy or family tree can be traced, be it with Nepalese, Nigerian, Chinese, Taiwanese, Korean, Anglo-Saxon, Blacks, South Asian, Italian, Brazilian, biracial, mixed race, Ghanaian, Latino, Mexican. Out of this one and this woman, this one man, this woman, a diversity of nations have emerged, fulfilling the creation mandate of being fruitful and multiplying, filling the whole earth with God's glory. As we look around the room where we have gathered this morning with the people of our life group, there is something that reminds us that we are all related and that our story finds its cue, its meaning, significance in the narrative found within Genesis, the creation story. We are family in which the whole heaven and the earth is a name. Sin might have left us broken with a form of a spiritual amnesia where we know this to be true, but we have not been fully leaning into this reality through the way in which we have treated each other. We are all children of God, part of the one family of God by creation, and in some cases not necessarily true as it relates to redemption. This is made possible through a personal relationship with Jesus where we turn from our sins and we believe fully on his work for us in the cross. The next narrative I want to draw attention to is Exodus. This narrative 
somewhat calls back the nations to one common story, the story that we all belong to God and was created to be in relationship with him. You see, the story of the Exodus, it also further reveals God's desire to us as a people or to use a people that he would set free and who in turn would lead to the freedom and the liberation of all nations of the world. That God chose Israel as imperfect as they were to be the nation that would call us back to our ancient story which started in the Garden of Eden. That blows my mind. In Genesis, we have this picture of God coming down in the cool of the evening to meet with his humanity. The garden that was God's sanctuary where he communed with Adam and Eve, they reflected his image. The mutual submission and in service to God and creation, it was a place of shalom. Nothing was broken, nothing was absent, nothing needed fixing. Adam and Eve were a son, a daughter of the Most High God. In reading scripture chronologically, we come to this understanding, but it's only in the Exodus narrative we hear God explicitly stating who he is in relation to Israel and Israel in relation to him. Please follow me as I read from Exodus 4, 21 to 22. The Lord said to Moses, when you return to Egypt, see that you perform before fear all the wonders that I've given you power to do. But I will harden his heart so he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go so he may worship me. Now pause for a second and that and follow me as I read Matthew 6 verses 5 to 9. Just by way of context, this discourse took place shortly after Jesus' sermon on the mountain. It happens also to be rich with many Exodus motifs. In the Exodus story, God met with Moses on Mount Sinai and he gave him the Ten Commandments. In this scene, however, we see Jesus outlines a new Exodus people, speaks to a new Exodus people, and he outlines the ethics of the kingdom. Of course, not before performing the miracles of feeding the 5,000 in a deserted place, which recalls the feeding of the Israelites in the wilderness with manna from heaven. He tells them this is how people of the new Exodus lives and how their lives are joined to his own. And he says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go to your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. And then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like pagans. For they think that it will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need, even before you ask it. And here's this verse. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I would describe my relationship with the Lord's Prayer as one of deep and personal. As a young child, I memorized and recited it during morning assembly at school, growing up in the Caribbean and often in the church context. For me, it served as a beautiful reminder that God was ultimately Father, Provider, and the one worthy of my worship. Later, my understanding grew where I began to see it 
as a means of praying for the manifestation of the full expression of God's kingdom in the here and in our reality in earth. I confess that within the last three years, this prayer has taken on an even much deeper and a richer meaning. The context of God as Father has been quite profound as I grew up within a home where my earthly father was not present, but God was. This prayer is a prayer with a movement from deeply personal in nature to corporate. It begins inwards and it works its way outwards. It is the embodiment of God's appeal to us as his people and the appeal of us as his children to him. And in looking at the prayer, it is a summary of what Jesus' kingdom or earthly ministry was about. Jesus' own agenda is wrapped up beautifully within this prayer. The prayer folds or encompasses all that Jesus did, the Sermon on the Mount, the feeding of the 5,000, giving to the poor and needy, forgiving people of their sins, hanging out with the tax collectors. See, whenever we pray this prayer, we are saying, God, we want to be a part of your agenda. Jesus was all about honoring God, the Father, revealing the Father, summarizing the Father, encouraging others to do the same manner. Hallowed be your name. This is a prayer of hope as well as a prayer of confidence. It's a prayer of hope because it is given by Jesus to people who are not only part of that movement, you and I, that has been inaugurated but by people who are watching and are longing for the fullness of this kingdom. Israel is my firstborn. Let my people go that they may worship me. The language of the name of God as Father is invoking the God of the Exodus and the new Exodus that has begun in Jesus. God promised to release people, you and I, from slavery, from everything that stops us from being the people that we were meant to be as it was true for the Exodus people, as it was true for the New Testament people, so it is for us today. As we read and as we hear this prayer, I want us to understand that this points back to a long memory of being the Exodus people, of being the freedom people. So when we pray our Father, we are praying to the one who has already set us free and will set us free and will do so again and again. It is not only Israel, that was also known as the Son of God, but also the divinity King, as we read within Psalms 2. You are my Son, and this day I have begotten you. Acts, and I will give the nations for your inheritance. In Isaiah, the idea of David being king is democratized within Isaiah 55. The prophet states, Come to me, anyone who thirsts for waters, and I will make the shared covenant I made with David. In other words, you and I too share in this promise. The people who follow Jesus, the people who belong to him, the people who through baptism and faith are a part of this family. They too pray, Abba, Abba Father, the way that Jesus prayed. They use the name as a reminder of God's powerful saving act and liberation of his people. The followers of Jesus are the true exodus and the messianic people. We come not saying our Father in this casual and flimsy way, but with a rich memory, a deep sense of privilege, a gracious entitlement, not based on anything that we have done or anything that we have earned. We say our Father in heaven not because it is a long ways away, but because heaven and earth were always meant to overlap and interlock. This place for the Jews was the temple, 
And so when we say our Father in heaven, it's we are coming in the temple in the presence of God himself. In our Sunday worship, in this temple, nothing unclean or unholy or, or things to do with death can come into the presence of God. The temple to which we come is Jesus. He is our temple. And so we come to say these opening lines, trusting what Jesus is doing, has done, will do. And so we are welcome to come as extraordinarily allowed to come as forgiven sinners into the presence of God, invoking his name and his presence as the ground plan for everything else that we want to talk to him about. And so sin, so if God is our father, what does this mean for you and I encounter? And how we approach prayer and grow deeper in our intimacy with him. As I close, I want to leave us with this one picture from my own personal life. My wife and I have a 70-year-old son, and nothing brings me greater joy than when he says, Dada. Often when he says it accompanied by a request, I can't help but want to fulfill that request. Just this past Wednesday, he had a nightmare, and I heard his scream. He shouted out my name. First time I heard it, and I roused quickly from my sleep. He called two other times while I was on the way. I could hear the sound of fear in his voice and his cry. I rushed to the room, seeing him all teary-eyed, saying, Dada, I had a bad dream. Picked him up, held him in my arms, and assured him, it is only a dream, but I am here. And this is a picture of me as his earthly son, but I pale in comparison to God the Father. If my heart leapt or leap with so much joy when I hear him mention Dada, how much more our Father in heaven. And if I was so willing to move heaven and earth to be there, to let my son know that he was safe and he is protected and he is loved. How much more, our Heavenly Father? Why don't you spend some time talking about this in your life group? If God is our Father, how does it change our approach to prayer and our relationship with it? God bless you. <laughs>